Bob, you there? Hey there. Howdy. How's it going, Kevin? It's going really well. Oh, it's going really good. well today. How about you? Where do I begin? Can I take the whole podcast <laughs> up and tell you about how miserable the day was? You, you can mention the cat vomit if you want, you know. Yeah, my cat threw up and my feet hurt and I got sunburned and I'm cold. That, Losing my hair. <laughs> well, this would be an interesting podcast then. Yeah, should have some callers call in and ask about my problems. Yeah, exactly. Well, we might as well start with what you're drinking if you have all those kind of problems going on. I uh, opened up a new bottle tonight. It's uh, a Penelope Toasted Barrel Barrel Strength Bourbon. Penelope, where's that from? It is actually bottled here in Tennessee. Um, yeah. I do think it's actually sourced from somewhere, possibly MGP, but I am not sure. Um, actually, it says it's, uh, it's uh, distilled in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. So, yeah, that's MGP. Oh, there you go. Uh, how's it tasting? It's good. Um, a lot of maple on the nose and uh, maple syrup on the palate is kind of what I've picked up so far. Awesome. Uh, how about you? What are you drinking today? Uh, I, as I explained in the uh, last cast, I'm, I'm going through the uh, liquor cabinet with all the remnants. And this one, I don't know if it came from our store. I think it might have. It's uh, some vendor might have left it uh, quite a while ago. It's uh, Duamonte Verde Noche. It's a handcrafted and select small batches in Italy with a slowly steeped genuine Sicilian pistachio infusion. I like that Italian accent there. Natural craft ingredients and flavors and fine Italian artesian spirits. So it's an Italian liqueur that has a pistachio taste to it and Madagascar vanilla. So uh, it sounds like it would be good if you if you blended it into a milkshake. <laughs> I'm I'm drinking it on the rocks as I do. Uh it's only twenty eight percent. so it's not uh it's not a heavy uh drink, but it it's actually tasting pretty good. Um, the pistachio comes through really strong and uh, takes me back to my my roots in Sicily. So if I start breaking into an, an Italian accent, you'll know where I'm coming from. It's perfect. You can make like pistachio milkshakes. Exactly. So we want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. Um, you know, our numbers are going up quite a bit, Bob. You know, I, I sent you that. We've got uh, literally hundreds of listens now and a good deal of followers. And there was one guy, you know, keeps on emailing us. We've actually got a prince from Nigeria who was very interested in the podcast and keeps on hitting our email box. Uh, I need to talk to you about, you need some money to fund a, an affiliate yeah, just, over there. Just uh, give him the, give him the bank account for the pack and just have him wire all his money <laughs> over to us. So, that's true. We could do that. We could, uh, we could have him send We'll do a reverse scam, right? <laughs> we'll go the it. other way. <laughs> hey, by the in way, case, do have... in case he needs it, just give him your social security number too. Yeah, that too. Sure. 
Um, so we appreciate everyone listening, uh, you know, by way of introduction, uh, some of you might've heard this before, but, uh, welcome to the, uh, sensible center podcast. I'm Kevin, uh, a left of center guy from the terrific, uh, warm and, uh, horsefly, uh, infested, uh, great state of Wisconsin. And you are, I am Bob. I, uh, think taxes are a terrible thing <laughs> and i am from tennessee does where, anyone like taxes coincidentally there are no state income taxes here oh, nice some people like taxes you have to like taxes to live in california or new york don't you yeah you definitely uh you definitely have your fill of them there so while we're from different uh, political ideologies, we both believe our political system is broken and in need of reform. And we formed a political action com- committee by the name of Sensible Center, PAC, uh, towards that goal. So I invite you to sit back, uh, do like us, and grab some nice adult beverages and listen to this, uh, what we believe uh, is going to be a respectable, sometimes intelligent, and occasionally fun conversation about politics, reform, and the issues facing our country. Um, we do have a website, sensiblepack, sensiblecenterpack.com. We have an email address, uh, sensiblecenterpack at gmail.com. And recently added, we don't call it Twitter anymore, do we? It is now X. It's X. What a stupid ass thing. And we have not yet sent our first Zeet. Or whatever it's supposed to be called. They call it Zeet now? Zeet, yes. Oh, boy. So, uh... Actually, maybe we should offer a, uh... Offer to let somebody write our first Zeet for us for a donation to the pack. That would be nice. Oh, that would be nice. So we're open to suggestions. We are at USASCPAC at USASCPAC. P-A-C. That's our handle on Twitter. All right. Everyone take out the, the, the pen and paper and write that down and follow us. Give us a, uh, a Zeet back and uh, move into our DMs and uh, we'll, we'll respond to you guys. Uh, another thing I want to try out uh, maybe um, to get the listeners involved is I'd like to, you know, I'd like to try out some catchphrases, you know, I think that would be good because uh, it seems to uh, work for like uh, SNL characters and things like that. So here's two I'm, I'm trying out, Bob. Um, what you talking about, Bob? Now, that's that's a little bit of a ripoff of different strokes. Um, uh, that's completely unique. <laughs> that's a good one. And then my other one would be. Now, just hold on a second there, Bob. So. <laughs> That's Wisconsin. <laughs> now, just, now, just hold on a second there, Bob. So, um, let us know which one of those two you like, and then I can I could throw those into the podcast, and then you could be uh, the uh, owner of our our catchphrase of the week. See, that's you not could use quite, a catchphrase. Yeah, I wasn't prepared. Too. I should have had a catchphrase ready for yeah, you. But I surprised I just can't you. Say. I surprised yeah. you. I do extra work. That's what I do around here. 
So anyways, Bob, I think Bob, uh, like we said before, uh, we switch back and forth on who's going to lead the discussion. And Bob's come up with some great topics to discuss tonight. So uh, where are we leading off, Bob? We are going to start with the recent Fitch downgrade of uh, USA's credit rating from a triple A to a double A plus. So recently, uh, Fitch, who's a a rating agency, downgraded USA's credit rating. What that means is it becomes more expensive for the country to borrow money. And then, of course, it affects the ability of uh, the citizens within the country to borrow cheap money as well. Um, Fitch noted in their statement when doing so that the U.S. is on track to spend 10% of its revenue on interest by 2025. And if you look at that number, um, the average AAA country spends 1% of their revenue on interest. So I think probably this downgrade is way past due. So we're better than all of them. USA. USA. USA, right? Ten percent to one percent sounds great. That and We're that's exactly how better. we got into this problem. <laughs> Math like that. <laughs> so you're diving right into uh, uh, credit ratings of the U.S. Uh, government debt. Yeah, because oh, I think boy. it's important, right? And and one of the reasons I, I actually chose this topic was uh, Joe Manchin had a great line. Um, related to this, and, and we talked to about him in the last podcast, and and the third party that he's trying to get moving on alongside of, uh, what's his name from from Utah, John Huntsman. There you go, John Huntsman, the Republican. So Manchin said uh, the downgrading of America's credit rating by Fitch represents a historic failure of leadership by both political parties and the executive branch, and he's right. He hit it right on the head. He's the one guy that you could consider center left that actually kind of stood up and said it. Um, and he's right. I mean, that's that's exactly where we are. And I've got concern it's going to get worse from here. Yeah, We're thirty-two I mean, I... trillion in debt, and we've got no plan to pay it down. Not a. Well, we're going to be one of the few talking about the debt today. So I, I looked at the Fitch downgrade and kind of the reasons behind it. And, you know, they they, they kind of hinted at the, the debt ceiling standoff. Uh, you know, just general comments about tax cuts and new spending initiatives um, and a decrease in standards of governance over the last 20 years. And I, I guess those are all valid reasons janet yellen didn't think they were but i guess they're all valid reasons but i i guess i guess the point is why why should we care so you know shortly thereafter uh they did a treasury did a 10-year bond auction and actually there was an improvement in demand for the 10-year bond auction um I guess they have a coverage ratio, which is how many people were looking to buy it versus uh, how much was offered. And 
the ratio was 2.56 to 1. Foreign buyers made up 72% uh, versus a near-term average of 68%. And they sold 10-year treasuries at a 3.38 billion dollars of 10-year treasuries at a 3.99% yield. So the question is, does the downgrade matter? Does the level of debt we have matter? If we can sell our debt uh, at fairly low rates, I would consider a 10-year yield of less than 4%, even in this sort of high-rate environment, inflationary environment, would be a pretty good deal. My concern is the deficits we're running and the interest rates um, that are rising, feeding off each other. And what that's going to result in is a growing cost to taxpayers and a, and a lack or a detriment to economic growth, right? Okay. As their deficits gets, big, gets bigger, and interest rates rise, that borrowing just gets more and more expensive. So yes, by 2025, we're estimated to have 10% of revenue spent on interest. But it's not going to take another 250 years to get to 20%, right? That's going to happen a lot faster at the rate we're going. Okay, do I get and to it, just let me know when I could clue our dear listeners into the modern monetary theory? Yeah, so I think, you know, the leading into that, um, there's concern. I've got concern, but I think it's, you know, Fitch has the same concern that the government will use inflation um, as a mechanism to reduce the real value of its debt, right? And that's going to continue to put upward pressure on interest rate. It's going to hurt things like the housing market or uh, car manufacturers or other big ticket item manufacturers who get a lot of their business because of the ability of their customers to get cheap financing on things. And so if there's a continued concern about, you know, debts becoming less and less valuable because of inflation, um, we could have a real issue. And I believe much of this inflation is a result of those who who push modern monetary theory on us. All right. So let's let's cover that. All right. This is my favorite part. So, dear listener, if you haven't heard of monetary modern monetary theory or MMT in short, we're going to give you a little uh, little lesson on modern modern MMT, I'll say, because uh, it's a mouthful otherwise. So, Basically, MMT says debt is, the government debt is fairly irrelevant for the most part. And the theory goes is, as a sovereign nation who has our own fiat currency, what do we care about debt? Because we can always print more money. We can easily pay off all our debt tomorrow. Do you agree with that, Bob? We can pay off our debt tomorrow. Without raising taxes. Yeah, and without inflation cutting Inflation is a tax. Inflation is a tax. Well, we'll get to but that yeah. part. We'll get yep. to that part. 
but um, you agree that you we could. could pay off our debt tomorrow with you no yes, new agree, taxes. Yeah. Okay. So we could do that. So what? let's walk through what would happen if we did that, right? Most of our debt is held by foreign entities, lots of foreign governments, lots of foreign investors. I would say in the neighborhood, as we talked before, probably high 60s, 70% roughly. So we send them all these dollars, right? And we say, here you go. We paid off our debt. We just, we just, we wouldn't even have to print them anymore. We could just use digital, digital uh, numbers and just say, thank you very much. We paid off your T-bills. We're debt free. So then they're stuck with a bunch of dollars, right? Yes. Am I correct? Yep. They're going to have dollars in their account. And everyone who's holding treasuries is going to have dollars in their account. So then where, where does that go, right? Do they buy things with dollars and drive up prices, as you said, with in inflation? Or do they then look for another investment for those dollars? I would say largely they'll probably look for an investment because who, had, but who, who again you get to that point right you're now devaluing the dollar to such a point that um, those who are going to buy debt or invest oh you in haven't you haven't devalued money the holder yet nothing's devalued well, the minute the, the minute you pay off all that debt with brand new dollars the mm. currency becomes devalued not necessarily it's out the value there of the, the value of the currency is set by the currency markets and the demand for the currency right so well, it, the, yeah, it, it very I mean, demand for the currency does drive uh the value okay so it very way melt it very it could lower the the value of the currency but not necessarily it's kind of you have to kind of walk through what they're going to do with the those but that that money let's so look I, at some recent examples right i mean and you you, you i'm sure you you know you you can kind of expect what i'm going to say here but debt monetization resulted in a lot of failures there's a lot of examples out there. Zimbabwe is probably the, the biggest one because it was relatively recent. Don't compare but Venezuela, Zimbabwe. Brazil, Weimar, Germany, right? They did the same thing. They printed money. And it, it, it resulted in catastrophic failure. And that's not all of them. That's just a few, but I don't, I don't want to run really. off the list, right? None of those were the biggest, most integrated economy in the history of the world either. But And, and our debt-to-GDP ratio right now, it was 53% in 1960, 34% in 1980, 58% in 2000, and 129% in 2020. And the closest time I could find to that 100 29 percent was around right after world war ii as as world war ii ended it was around 119 percent 
And so what that tells me, we have a wartime deficit and a peacetime economy. And it's not sustainable. And again, there's no plan whatsoever to pay down our $32 trillion in debt. We're going to probably have another $22 trillion in debt 10 years from now. I mean, Unless, to, that, to that point, I would say we've been fighting a war for 20 plus years. Uh, you could call it the war on terror, but we fought in Iraq, Afghanistan. Now we're fighting uh, what I would consider a proxy battle in the Ukraine against Russia. We had a global pandemic, which didn't occur uh, uh, in the last hundred plus years. So we have been through some stuff. We were almost debt free or close to debt free at the end of the Clinton administration. 9-11 happened and we expanded government in many ways um, with Homeland Security, spent a lot of money boosting our security, fighting wars, whatnot. Whether you think that's a valid reason for doing it or not, we could argue about that. But to say that we've been in a peacetime uh, situation, I don't think is is accurate. So there's reasons why we've spent that money. Uh, sure, some of it's been wasted, as as it typically is. I'm not trying to justify our level of debt, but I'm saying let's look at it realistically, uh, based upon what we've been through and where we're headed. Um, I don't like the fact. Uh, I don't know if MMT works or not. So uh, let me let me finish yeah, with the. Yeah, Let me finish with the MMT. So MMT basically says, we don't really care about that. We care about inflation and unemployment, which is basically what the Fed cares about, right? I mean, that's basically what you hear. We, you know, we'll keep on raising rates as long as employment looks good. So we don't tank the economy and we'll fight inflation down to whatever target rate we choose, which they're stuck on 2%, which I think is... Uh, a little bit low. Um, so, in theory, that's kind of what the Fed is doing. Um, and they're using their balance sheet, the Treasury's balance sheet, to, and the Fed's balance sheet to, to buy, you know, debt and do quantitative easing and, and putting money in and out of the economy based, based upon those two targets. So, it's, there's a little bit of history behind this. But anyway, so all this, all this, you know, if we pay it off tomorrow, all these dollars are going to be floating around. My guess is a good deal of it will go into financial assets, which will likely drive up the stock market, right? So your 401k will actually increase. Um, I don't think they're going to necessarily buy um, milk, at your grocery store with those dollars. So why would the price of your milk go up at that point, right? The uh, vast majority of money that has been printed in the history of the United States was done in the last three or five years. And some of the worst inflation in history happened in the last oh, year and a half. Oh, Bob, Bob, read your, read your economic history. This, this inflation is mild. Was compared mild. to the seventies, yeah, sure. But compared to compared to, I could go back in history of this country many times when inflation was 
much more rampant. Our inflation in this country is more under control than numerous other countries who aren't in our debt situation. It's so also calculated much differently. You're, and I mean, we're not going to get in time. You know the way what it's you calculated talking about, the Bob? basket, the basket of goods, right? The basket of goods. That's how they're calcul. That's part of how it's calculated, right? So you save two hundred and fifty dollars on your TV because it's manufactured overseas, and also, it you know you save a little extra money in the calculation because now you get a remote with the TV, and you didn't get the remote with the TV now, fifty now years ago, right? But my point is, okay, you save two hundred and fifty dollars on your TV. It's your TV is that much cheaper than it was a few years back. However, your house to go buy a starter house now. It's $450,000 if you can find one, right? Starter house used to be under $100,000. It's, it's it's a different world. And you can't tell me that that housing inflation doesn't matter. It sounded matter. like an old man now. Well. Just hold on that, a that's second That's one of the there, many problems Bob. I've had today. Yeah. <laughs> I've used the catchphrase twice. We should make a drinking game when I say, just hold on there a second, Bob. Have a drink. All right, um, got it. So Bob's argument is that uh, inflation uh, is being mis- not miscalculated, but massaged to make it look a little better than, or a lot better than maybe it historically has. Sure, I go say, take the go inflation calculation your, from the 70s go and apply and that exact your, calculation to today. You're going to find out inflation's a lot higher than they're saying it is. Go back and read your history books before we had a Fed, before we had taxes or much debt in this country um we had inflation so uh and lots of it um so what i'm saying is as i'm walking through this scenario and i would say that you don't have to pay off all the debt at once but we could do it in chunks i mean basically that's what the fed's been doing anyway they introduce money into the so we could say well, we're gonna we're gonna balance ourselves from now on, and then we're gonna we're gonna pay off three trillion a year and just put it back out and you know pay these investors off. And I'm guessing, like I said, that'll go into financial assets, and financial assets will be bid up. Um, so I'm not saying that I'm all for a balanced budget. I think we should live within our means. Um, I do think there is a time and place for incurring debt uh, to manage um, to manage the swings in, in the business cycle and tax revenues and when countries need to spend money and when they don't. Uh, but I think we should work to a to an even uh, keel so we don't accumulate debt. I'm all for that, but I'm saying now that we have 30 plus trillion of debt, um, what's realistically the scenario that we work our way out of it. And it's most likely we're not going to raise taxes uh, so much. And, and yes, it will trickle through. There'll be some inflation. Nobody knows how much it will be. Uh, it, it will, if we do this and keep introducing money, inflation will run hotter. Uh, but I don't think anyone knows exactly how that would play out. And I don't think, and you see, that's where we are now. We're 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 going down the path of well, you know, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna let inflation run hotter because we've dug ourselves in such a hole. There's yeah. really, I mean, it's 
and now we're getting downgraded, right? So that debt is going to accumulate more debt in this terms of interest, I should oh. say, more expense in terms of interest than ever pointed, before. You're going to be printing a lot of money. I just pointed out it, does, it doesn't necessarily move the needle because we're still – and. Our debt is still very well valued. We have almost three times as many investors looking to buy it than uh, we're selling at this level of debt. I, I, I'm all for you. We should work our way down. But I don't think MMT has been disproven. I know that you have indicated it has because we've had 8% inflation during a pandemic. I think there were global supply issues. I will point to any. I will point to many other countries that don't have our debt situation, who are having a more difficult time getting inflation under control. Well, um, just just because I mean we we're lucky that we're the reserve currency, right? But that does not make economic theory any less relevant. But we are because we're a vibrant economy, a free market economy. Um, that innovates, uh, and so people want to invest in this country, and to invest in this country, they need U.S. dollars. If um, if people were truly investing, or that you know, buying our debt at such a level mm-hmm. that it mattered, we wouldn't have rates continuing to rise. Oh, rates are, I mean, four percent for a. a 10-year debt? You can get five out there. That's a steal. I mean... Get over five out there. That that is a bet. But it's continuing to rise, which tells me that demand is not increasing. Demand is still still lower historically. that, that, That means that somebody is investing in that money with the thought that we're going to have inflation, you know, I would hope that they would want a 2% return over a 10-year horizon. So the real rate of return with a 2% inflation is 2%. If our inflation was over 4%, where are you, what are you doing, right? Well, it, it ticked up I mean, today, right? It ticked up to 3.2, I think, well, 3.1. It, it, it goes back. Well, inflation's coming down. Um, but anyways, so I, I think, I think we've covered that quite a bit, but, um, yeah. let's, I, uh, I, let's, I don't, uh... I don't think MMT's buried. I think that isn't, I think that is important, but I think we need to not consider it like a household debt because the federal government can pay off the debt tomorrow, uh, without raising taxes. And I don't think people think of it that way. Um, Inflation's a tax. You don't know what inflation would be. I just presented a scenario where you'd have very little inflation. In fact, I mean, a year ago, I could go to the grocery store for $120, and now it's $300. I mean, you know, for the same basket of goods, it's not. I mean, that's inflation, right? right? And. Modern monetary theory, like it or not, was being pushed for the last two, three years, and here we are. Yes, right. there's, you know, the pandemic happened, everything else, but I mean, 
I, where's the line? You know, when do you determine that it's modern monetary theory causing this disinflation? If we get five years down the road, and it and it flares up again, I mean, you know. Okay, I'll I'll we're gonna we're gonna start reaching out to guests and and I'll reach out to Bernie over before the next podcast and ask him to appear on the podcast and defend uh, MMT. We'll see what response we could get back. I'll I'll Baseball. read the response from Bernie's office. If if any economic professors want to come on and tell me I'm wrong, I'd I'd love you to do that. I'll still disagree I just, with you. I just told you you're wrong. I'm not a professor. But yeah. I'm not. I've, I've had enough. Masters. Ed, I, I've had enough education right. in economics to to qualify me to be uh, uh, saying that that doesn't matter. That's All a fair right. point. Um, let's move on to the other topic and, and, and I, I, I'll, I'll take this one from here. I, I read, um, the transcript of Devin Archer, who is Hunter Biden's, uh, business associate. Uh, and we're going to get to a talk about uh, corruption here and what's corruption, but, uh, I did read the, the transcript and, my initial impression, I don't know if you read the transcript, Bob, or not. You read beats and pieces yeah, of it? Yeah, I've read most of it, not all of it. So my, my initial Hopefully. take was the I, I didn't think it worked in the Republicans' favor because I don't think they knew what he was going to say. And, and yes, he, he did say uh, Joe appeared on uh, you know numerous calls, 20-plus calls on speakerphone, uh, but... He basically said Joe didn't, in his presence, talk about anything besides the weather and kind of where they were at. So I had this idea in my mind on, uh, you know, maybe a scenario on on how this could have happened. Uh, and I'm willing to present it before the the oversight committee. But so just imagine, dear listener, that, you know, uh, old, old man Joe, what do we call him? Grandpa Joe? Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe, maybe. Uncle Joe's, Uncle Joe's sitting in his office. You know, uh, he was vice president at the time. This wasn't when he was president. So he really had little to do. Uh, he's got the, the old aviators on, staring out the window, uh, you know, waiting for uh, Barack to call him into the office on, on something, probably eating, you know, uh, popcorn or, or whatnot. Ice cream. His cell phone rings, and it's and of course it's the uh, it's the Miami Vice theme song. Uh, if you remember that back from the '80s, that was the the uh, the showdown and with Don Johnson. Um, so it's the Miami Vice theme song, and if if I had a drop in here, I'd play it, but I, but I don't. So he looks at, and of course the Miami Vice theme comes from his his son Hunter. So he's assigned the Miami Vice theme to Hunter, um, and so. He looks at the phone and he's like, oh, isn't it out nice that my only living son is calling me? Uh, how thoughtful of him. Um, but then, you know, so he picks it up. Um, and interesting, uh, interesting. Um, Hunter typically will call maybe, I guess they call often. But, you know, let's just imagine this is on the on the date of um you know, the passing of the, the death date of his brother, Bo, who had passed several years ago, unfortunately, of cancer. So Hunter, 
Hunter calls dear old uh, Joe and says, you know, um, and, and Hunter has set up meetings. Well, I won't get into it, but Joe picks up and says, hey, dad. Uh, Hunter's like, hey, dad, just thinking about you. Miss the sound of your voice. That was really <laughs> too bad about Bo, huh? I missed him, too. Oh, say, dad, I have a couple buddies here with me at my AA meeting. That would like to say hi to you. So this is an imaginary scenario, and just to, just to, as a, and as a side, I have I'm not imputing anything upon the the Biden family or the Biden crime family, as they say on Fox <laughs> News, uh, because I I don't uh, you know I don't need the FBI coming over here and putting a bullet in my head, but you know, you heard that story right, Bob? <laughs> yes, I did today. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, this is all theoretical, uh, you know, based upon uh, what I read on the transcript. So um, um, do I need to say this is alleged or or whatnot? This is just a hypothetical scenario. So he says, I'm at this meeting, uh, this AA meeting with my friends and, and, you know, they'd like to say hi to you. Yes. Yes. uh, You know, dad, friends of Bill and all. What, dad? Um Okay, I'll say it just because I love you so much. And Joe loves to hear Hunter say this. So he says, um, you know, I haven't touched cocaine in years, Dad. Yep, 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 yep. I've been a good boy, he says. Okay, here we go. And so this is a line that Joe just gets a kick out of. So Hunter says, okay, Dad, say hello to my little friends. You know, (laughs) it's the Scarface line, and Joe just gets a kick out of it because, you know, Hunter, Hunter, you know, had a problem with cocaine. So Joe just gets a kick out of it. So he says, hold on, let me put you on speakerphone. Okay, Dad, you there? And then, you know, Joe Joe talks about the weather. You know, he's an old guy. He's sitting around. He wants to know what they're reading. Uh, talks about the weather. And, and he notice he notices a, 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 a kind of a Ukrainian accent, a Russian-Ukrainian. Joe's pretty good with accents. He's been around the block a little bit. And he's thinking to himself, he gets that confused look on his face. And so he takes off the aviator glasses and begins to rub his forehead and then has a vague recollection that this happens many times before. And he's like, oh, boy, Hunter got me again. Now, isn't that a nice scenario to think of? See, and then you everybody got, laughs like at the end of the everybody laughs like it's a sitcom, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It's like it's like a sitcom. Oh, and then the music plays. Did it? Did it? Did it? No, nothing harmful. It's just uh, a father who loves his son. Knows his son is a little bit. Well, maybe more than a little bit of a mess up, allegedly. Uh, but you know, takes all his phone calls, gets on the speakerphone, and then he's like. Oh man, I've been had again. Did you so, what, see? Do you buy this scenario? Oh, of course I do. It, right? Yes. Nothing it but. It could happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Did you, did you see the? That didn't the, go as well as I thought, but. Uh, I, 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 it came across. I understand what you're getting at, right? All right. So, I mean, it's a perfect lead-in, because. We had a list come out today or yesterday, right? Released by uh, somebody in Congress, Comer, 
detailing over 20 million in payments from foreign entities to the Biden family, 3.5 million to a shell company associated with Hunter and Devin Archer, right? Um, they don't deserve to make money. One million per year each from Burisma. Yep. A sports car was purchased by Wire. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Kazakhstani oligarch paid for that. And significant amounts of money came from individuals that Vice President Biden had dinner with in Washington, D.C. in both 2014 and 2015. Right. And that those were Russian oligarch, I believe the uh, wife of the mayor of Moscow and others. Right. So, I mean, there's. I think I think Devin said that he was at the dinner probably. I think somewhere between 15 minutes and a half an hour. It's, it was at the Cafe Milano, which I guess is the place to be seen in Washington. Although I looked at the menu. It's an Italian restaurant. Actually, he met, he met both the in-person meetings with people were at the Cafe Milano. So if you want to see Joe, uh, you know, might want to check our Joe and Hunter and some oligarchs. <laughs> <laughs> Make a reservation the at the Cafe Milano in Washington D.C. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. I mean, there, there's clearly money flowing, and, and we kind of want to get into the talk about what is corruption. That's kind of the lead in here. And so, um, you know, that was a joke scenario. But it's it's a question of where is the line. So, I think the line as it's currently drawn is not influence peddling. It's not granting access. It's not introducing your father. Um, do you agree with that? The, the line. Well, from a, not... from, from a legal standpoint, you know, that's not the line, right? That's not across the line from a legal standpoint. Right. It's not, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you know, from, an implied ethical standpoint, which again is not legal. It's 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 not. I mean, it's it's over the line. I think it's clear to any reasonable individual what was happening. The question is whether or not it can be proven that it was happening, and without very happening? clear evidence. What what that, was happening? That the gov- the the vice president okay. was influencing law, or no, I don't think money any reasonable piece, person would think or that. Or money no. flow in exchange for money, right? I'll send you taxpayer money, or I will um, give you contracts, government contracts. But you're I overstating the case. You're overstating the favorable case. Favorable trade agreements in exchange for money. Right in this well, case, uh, a business deal for Hunter. What right. you're stating is is the line, is the quid pro quo. So that is the line that that you have to prove it to, to be proven, right? And it's difficult to prove when you know you're sharing a bank account with your son. So why would than the lead... money being directly into a a loan bank account, right? It's, it's very difficult to prove. Well, you, you have to prove it. I mean, that's that's our system. Yeah, um, well, I, that, that's fair. 
and I think it, you know, there's there's email evidence out there that um, Joe knew what was going on, and that there were some shady things going on. Um, well, without getting into the specifics of the case, because um, yeah, I think you want to stay kind of more above that and, and talk yeah, about corruption I, generally speaking. Because yeah, I mean, we're both for hey, if if that stuff is going on, it can be proven. We we need to route that out as much as possible, and I'll wait for the evidence to show up. I read the transcript. I think it didn't work in their favor. <laughs> Because he said, he specifically said, they ne- he was never in a place where they talked any business at all. Um, which is just the start of trying to prove a case. Because not only do you have to prove that they talked about it, you have to prove that money went for a particular favor. That's a high bar. I mean, the, the, the Supreme Court ruled unanimously on this. And, you know, I did some research. The governor, the case was a handful of years ago. Uh, governor McDonald in Virginia, um, which is a tobacco state, had a tobacco extract company. He had events at the governor's mansion for the company and received gifts from the company. Well, we could talk about um you know, Clarence Thomas too, whenever, whenever we get to that, cause I just saw he's in the news again for all the gifts and things he's received. Um, so he was promoting the, t- at the governor's mansion after receiving gifts from the CEO of the company and the Supreme court unanimously ruled that this was not illegal. It was not a corrupt act. Um, it said, an official act does not include merely setting up a meeting, calling another public official, or hosting an event. Um, you know, there's the Hobbs Act, there's extortion. I mean, I think we're both on board that we need to get much stronger yeah. in regards but, to that I, stuff. I wish none of this would occur, and I don't think it should occur. But you also have lobbyists, and you have people... Uh, Specifically in Hunter's case, though, there's things you can go after. I'm not registering as a foreign agent would be Absolutely. a big one, right? That's Hunter. Go, yep. Um, and there's there's countless cases of people that have should have been registering as foreign agents and, and didn't and weren't charged. Um, there's cases where people were, and then that's where you get in a question of political favor or not. That's right. Pa- Paul Manafort, I think... Uh... They, they hooked him on that one. Yeah. So, yeah, the corruption, I mean, really the, the biggest way, the best, most direct way, I think, to get rid of some of it is find a way to massively cut down on lobbyists. And I think maybe one way to do that is move a lot of the stuff out of D.C., right? Now you take any department you want. Move the Department of Agriculture out of D.C. Move the... Uh, Move the FBI out of Washington, D.C. Move the CIA out of Washington, D.C. Put things in far corners of the country. And then you don't have such a concentration of lobbyists, et cetera, living right there, right? Um, that, that would help, I think. Um, 
yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different things you could do. And, um, you know, I don't, just to be clear, I don't like that the vice president's son was sitting on the board of a Ukrainian gas company. I don't think it was illegal at the time. Um, you're right. If he's a, if he's technically a foreign agent, he needs to register. Um, I would think that case might be easier to prove than any kind of direct quid pro quo corruption. I don't I don't know how we draw the line. I mean, Trump kept his you know business interests going, foreign governments and various uh, entities. Uh, Clinton Foundation wasn't exactly on the up and up either. Absolutely. I, I mean, but, and I'm all, you know, it's just sort of where where we want to draw the line. Clearly, there are many avenues for money coming into the system and for side hustles and whatnot. And, you know, I yep. tend to believe if you run for a public office or you hold a position of public trust, that you need to make certain sacrifices and one of those sacrifices may be your son can't work for a, a Ukrainian gas company and sit on the board and draw a million dollar salary. There's got to be certain rules that we can write in that we could all agree to that. Yeah, it might not be, uh, but appearances matter. Uh, and we need to rebuild trust in our system and before. And to get to that, we need to make sure things don't appear, as you said, a reasonable person could assume something's going on, right? And I, term limits for public service as a whole would, you know, help there. And I don't just mean for a representative. I mean, if, if you spend six years in the House, you get, you know, no time in the Senate. If you right. spend six years in the Senate, you get no time in the House. You get no time as president, for that matter. Um, you go be a governor somewhere. I think that'd be fair, right? States' rights. But uh, by doing that, you create less legacy opportunity for family members, close friends, lawyers, right, to um, act on your behalf and be corrupt yeah and and getting circling back and kind of wrap wrapping this up you know that's one of the things we're looking for as far as candidates in the pack people with a small strong anti-corruption agenda and anti-corruption policy agenda to uh route out some of the stuff because we're not going to rebuild trust if we let if we keep on uh under the current system of law. Um, and, and, and if, if you're a candidate or, you know, a candidate who fits that mold and you'd like to come on the show or they would like to come on the show, the podcast, I should say, um, please contact us and come talk and we'll be handing out donations as we raise money. Uh, two candidates who support anti-corruption efforts as well as others. Yep, absolutely. So uh, that was a uh, good discussion on corruption. Uh, I, I hope everyone sort of kind of 
gets kind of the distinction between what's, you know, quote unquote above the law versus what is clearly against the law. And, you know, we think the law needs to, to be revised to capture a lot of this, this gray, gray area. So uh, what else do we got tonight? Uh, interstate migration. Interstate migration? What you talking about, Bob? <laughs> well, we're not talking about the illegal kind. Not the illegal kind. You've seen some migration towards your state? Uh, yes, I am a migrant, if you consider that. Um, my state is one of the top 10 states um, in the nation. Uh, Florida, Texas, North Carolina, Arizona, South Carolina, Tennessee, Nevada, Idaho, Colorado, and Utah are the top states for net positive migration. Can you pick out the one state there that is different? No. Florida, Texas, North Carolina, Arizona, <laughs> South Carolina, Tennessee, Nevada, Idaho, Colorado, Utah. I'll help you out here. Only Colorado question. is controlled by Democrats. Oh. But the trick question. The thing that's unique about Colorado is they cap a rise in state spending at the rate of population growth, growth plus inflation. So just to kind of restate, the state is not going to spend a dollar more unless that dollar correlates to a, a rise in population growth or inflation dictates that it needs to happen. Um, also, all state tax increases are put on a ballot. So in a general election statewide, the state gets to vote whether or not that tax increase goes through. Um, so why do you think this 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 is happening? So you're saying you're you're positing the theory people are fleeing democratic regimes to use a Fox News word uh, and going to uh, swallowing the red pill and going to red states for what reason? Pursuit of happiness? Well, it's a chicken or the egg sort of thing, I think. But yeah, pursuit of happiness. Happiness. That's that's generally speaking. That's it. Um, jobs. Low taxes, right? Do the jobs follow the low taxes, or does the general uh, the low taxes influence people to move down, and the jobs follow the the workers, right? I'm not sure exactly how that works, but I think generally speaking, it's it's low taxes. It's um it's jobs. So isn't it, that you know, said? I do think crime also plays a role in that to a lesser extent. You know, I've got a lot of um, anecdotal anecdotal conversations that I've had over the last year. Of people that have moved to this state from California, New York, Illinois, uh, my whole new neighborhood. It's California. They're, they're, I've met four people so far in the neighborhood from California, one from Texas, and then me from from a blue state, right? So they all kind of have the same story. So you got a bunch of liberals to get away. Uh, no, they're they're all conservatives. They moved out from California for conservative reasons. 
generally speaking, the answer at first is politics until you get to know them a little better. And then it's, yeah, the taxes. I had to get away from the taxes. I had to get away from the crime, raising kids. It's not. It won't be safe when my kids old enough to walk to the store for me to let them to walk, let them walk down the block to the store because there's people sleeping on my front lawn and all the sidewalks in between there. Um, especially people who came from the cities of California are very concerned about about crime um, and the homeless problem. Those who came from the less populated areas of California, generally speaking, they felt like they weren't being represented very well for their values, and they they wanted to get out. That and taxes. So, do you think we're going through like a a self sorting? Do you think uh, Tennessee is going to be more of a red state because of this, even though they're coming from California, or do you think they're gonna they're gonna end up being less? conservative than the typical conservative in Tennessee. I, I think it's going to get more red. And, and I wish I, I read an article a few days ago, actually, and I wish I remembered where the article was from. I just remembered right now. They did a study on Texas voters and they split them up between people who had newly migrated to the state and people who had lived there for more than 10 years. And they found that the people who had moved to the state recently were more conservative than the people who had already lived there by a pretty significant margin. Um, And by more conservative, I mean not just in population, but also in conservative value. So it was a more extreme version of conservatism. and I'm, I think a lot of that's happening here, too. Now, that said, I think California, for instance, will get more solidly blue for the same reason that the conservative states will get more solidly red. What's going to happen, though, as a result of that is less representation in Congress for the states that people are moving out of and more representation in Congress and more electoral votes for the states people are moving into. And it could have a minor I think over time um, effect on on elections and, and the makeup of, of Congress. Do you do you, you you mentioned they start with sort of maybe political reasons, but you think at the end of the day it's it could be economic reasons why people are moving. Yeah, a, a lot of jobs because so I would, the, I, the red I, states are more corp more corporate friendly as well, right? It's not just personal tax it's it's corporate tax it's workman's comp it's you know all the stuff that goes along with it um influences where jobs are going to go yeah i mean i i i i've had this race to the bottom theory for a while um i think it started with texas and and has expanded to other states that they, they reduce taxes, they provide incentives to businesses to bring them in, um, tax incentives, whatnot. And yes, the jobs will follow, uh, but then they cut back on services and education and, and all that other good stuff. So while jobs are there and um, 
then another state will compete to get the company at a better deal and offer new incentives. So then the business will go and leave and go somewhere else. So what are we really doing there? I mean, it's a little bit of uh, crony capitalism, if you, if you ask me. Um, and, and we as citizens then have to chase our employer around the country uh, to go where jobs are. Um, well, not necessarily. Not, a lot of them are remote now, right? Well, I, I'm just saying historically before COVID, but yep. I, I think that's that's kind of what I've been seeing this happen over the last 20 or 25 years, and I don't know where it ends. Um, I haven't done that. I haven't um, gone to a state where uh, they're trying to attract, I moved from Illinois to Wisconsin, probably not that big a difference between how their general views on things. Uh, Wisconsin's more of a purple state. Um, I think with a lot of people working remotely from Illinois, it may be becoming more purple um, as I see people from Illinois moving out to some of the rural areas in Wisconsin that typically weren't. Um, and that's part of my theory too, is, is if people move out of, um, California for economic reasons, be it housing or even, uh, even crime, as you said, they might still have, uh, different political tendencies, uh, and turn, I think Georgia might be a little bit like that. Arizona, yep. Arizona's probably seen it more than it. Uh, than a lot of places where Californians are moving. Um, it's the proximity maybe, there, I think, does make a difference, right? And, proximity and, would play right. out in California to Arizona, Illinois to Wisconsin. Yeah, I would. I would say that. Yeah, they might make those states more more purple and more uh, uh, in contention than they would have been. And I, I always thought it might might make sense, and we'll. This will lead into our discussion on, as you mentioned, what effect they would have on elections of representation. I always thought it might make sense for the Democrats to pay a bunch of people from California to move to Wyoming. They could easily probably swing an election with 25,000 people, get pick up two senators, uh, you know, move on to South Dakota next, uh, and just kind of bust people out there and give them you know, a new Homestead Act or something. It's got to be cheaper than uh, how we're running our campaigns now. Just move the people to the states. Yeah, no, I, I, I kind of started fearing that, and I think you and I had talked about it back when COVID started, that some of that was going to start happening naturally. Um, but I also think that it's, it's easier said than done. Again, if you have uh, many conservatives intentionally moving to those states as well now that they can work remotely. Right. It become, you know, it's not just 25 anymore because you have 25,000 conservatives, so you need to send 50,000 liberals, right? And, and then, of course, right, um, liberals generally tend to like to live in cities. So, you know, it's going to be difficult to get potentially large amounts of liberals to go live on the live on a ranch, I think you know, they like Wyoming. The nearest Starbucks is 50 miles away. They like nature. 
You can find enough granolas in Northern California, especially tech tech guys. Just move, just move. You know, part of Silicon Valley out to Wyoming, and we'll swing that state. So this gets us into the discussion of of representation, and this has always been a a ballywick of mine that as we're talking about individual states and migration, you know, Wyoming has 580,000 people. They have two U.S. senators, correct? Every state has two U.S. senators. California has 39 million people. California has two U.S. senators. You do the math, it's actually 67 times, if you just take it by the population, 67 times the representation Wyoming has. And I know you're saying, well, the House is based upon population, the Senate, two from every state. But the way the political system is now, with the filibuster, and what happens in the Senate, basically... With two senators, you have a lot of power. So are you arguing that both the House and the Senate should be based on population? I'm arguing that that's misrepresent. I'm arguing that the people of California are being underrepresented in our Congress. I prove disagree. Me, prove me otherwise. How are they not? Checks and balances. It was a compromise. If, if you... It, the the country was founded on that compromise, on that agreement. If you, I don't care. If you go back on that agreement, then the state should have every right to to go back on the agreement to join the union. They had slavery too. So if we're gonna, they had slavery, but that was if we're if we're going to go back we're going to go back and say that's they ridiculous. Were perfect and we can't change anything. The, that, no, that no, but work. that wasn't a they, condition for joining the the union, the legality of slavery. Do you think they had an idea that California would have 39 million people, the fifth largest economy in the world? Sure. Uh, do you think how many our people, founders envisioned that at the time? I how many people so. did New York have compared to South Carolina? I mean, I or, think well, it would have been Carolina at the time. I think I think they were all fairly. They weren't as they as divergent as they are now. I, I bet they I, were I'll, from I'll, a from I'll, a percentage I'll go, standpoint. I'll go look it up, but it was mostly rural. There were some cities, but cities weren't very large back then. Yeah, um, but I think you twenty thousand, thirty thousand people at most. Yeah, Boston, New York, probably. But they weren't had a pretty cities. large preference. It wasn't a lot of concentration. So so you're saying, sorry, California. There's Our nothing population. we can do. How about this? I saw, uh, this isn't my idea. I saw it out there. Every state, sort of like, you know, the baseball all-star game. No matter how stinky your team is. Not that Wyoming's stinky. Wyoming's a beautiful state. They just don't have many people. Um. You get one. You get one. You get Isn't one. that the case? Doesn't that happen? It so is the All-Star everyone game, right? gets. Yeah, it is the All-Star game. Yeah. Every every yeah. every baseball team gets one. Then, then you apportion on population. And if you did it, 
you could have 110 representatives. Um, so every state gets one, and then you apportion the rest, the other 60. So California, if you did the math, California would have 12 out of 110. Texas would have nine. But that's not how it works in the All-Star game. Every team gets one, but then it's based on votes. Well, the, the, the analogy is not perfect. The point is you get one, and then you get another how many based upon your population. So you're represented in the Senate. You're just not overrepresented. How about that? You, can you can you? I don't can like you it. Agree to that. You don't like it. No, absolutely Why? not. Because every state, I mean, the the equal representation. Why? Is balanced out by the population re- representation, and that ensures that the smaller states have outsized power. It ensures the smaller states have a say, a meaningful say, and aren't overruled by the individual larger states over time. They have more say than they have, than they should have, than they have people. If Texas... I think it was this double is... the size of any other state in the union and remained conservative. If you had that system set up in place, Texas would overwhelmingly create law. What do you mean? Texas because would have... Texas would have a majority of, uh, of Texas, just theoretically could have the majority of senators if they got large enough and yeah, the majority they're not large of enough. representatives. They're, but they would, they, they would have nine. Let's, let's talk a thousand years out. Well, now you're, now you're talking hypotheticals. You're talking the, right, the, whole, well, the whole country is moving to Texas. Could happen. Okay. Then the, I mean, then if the whole, this, you know, the whole country global, is global Texas warming thing and they should be and, overrepresented. Right? If the whole country lives in Texas, they should have no, all the representation. Texas doesn't know what's best for New York, and California doesn't know what's best for... There's nobody for living in New York. New Hampshire. You just said. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter then or now if there's one person living in New York City. That person, two people living in New York City, that adult knows what's best, what their kid needs to learn should be teaching their kid what they need to learn, not what Texas thinks they need to learn. They've got their own legislature. They can make their decisions. I'm talking about federal government making decisions the federal for government the whole holds nation. Back education funding based nation. upon what the local schools teach. Uh, it's still mostly local control. It's not. Uh, the legislatures in each state could decide. Well, I'm not giving up state control. You that's built in the Constitution, too. All those state rights, all those reserve powers, all of that's still there. New Yorkers could live how they want. They cannot. It, I don't know how, well, how we got on New York having less people, uh, but let's say Wyoming, uh, they could have whatever they want. They cannot decide largely with their two senators because we're so 
divided evenly what the rest of the country is going to do. They're I not. Don't they're think, still, the yes, House they is are. still out there. California the still has out. a House out there. It's got to pass. It's got to pass House and Senate. We there all it know is. The, we all know the game. Right. And there's a filibuster. But so if you they're gotta, both based on population, 60. if they're both both based on population, oh, then you might as well not even have the vote. You can vote in one or the other, and it's going to pass. Uh, you get a representative. The rest is a portion of that population. I think this, I honestly think this is part of the reason why amongst amongst a million other things that people don't feel represented because there are lots of people living in certain states and they get two senators and they hear about uh, this guy from this state and that guy from that state, which doesn't have much of a population deciding what the policy is for the whole country so we could get it well we're not going to agree on that we could get into the electoral college because we both agree that that should be done away with right i don't know about that what you talking about bob i'm on the fence on that one (laughs) i think it could potentially stand some reform but i wouldn't want to get rid of it i mean Yeah, you could make the argument that uh, you could make the argument it needs reform, but you absolutely have to keep some form of it. So here you can't just go country popular vote because, again, the population centers, which all lean one way and you pick New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Houston, those big cities. Why do we talk? Why do we talk we'll, about we'll population centers as a bad thing? It's like people in population Cairo, centers. Illinois. Where, want. where the people live, where Americans live, we. It's that little. It's that right. Americans the conservative live everywhere. Mem, the conservative mem, mentality lives. that only that only Americans live in in real America. Population centers are where that. Americans live. But, but that kind of language, population centers, indicates to me that's where people, that's where Americans live. A Again, majority of Americans. Education as an example, right? If you live in downtown Chicago, your kids probably don't need to learn farming, right? But if you live in Decatur, Illinois, chances are your kids need some farming skills and, and their education should be tailored for that, Right. You live in downtown Chicago, you probably don't need to learn mechanical skills. You live in Decatur, Illinois, fixing tractors or uh, fixing vehicles, fixing appliances, probably going to be a bit more important, and your education needs to be tailored that way. And if you let what are we talking a population about? center We're talking about the that doesn't reflect education again? the population, well, that's just that's. It's one example, and it's the one that came to mind for me right now. But if you let the population centers control laws, control values, control the government, then they're going to be there's going to be a large portion of the country and the population that it's that that, that are going to be at a disadvantage. No doubt about it. So one one vote one 
one one vote doesn't matter. Equal representation doesn't matter. We'll just throw that out the window. The states I mean, can split the states. The states can split off. I mean, what, what upsets yeah, that's me? What may, we should make it easier to do, right? You, you should make it easier for Illinois to cut itself off at I-80 and California to cut itself off at I-5. Come Same on. with Washington and Oregon. I mean, it Come should be on. a lot easier to do. They want to do I'm it. Not, let them, let them take that vote, lines. and so be it. So this is what gets me upset is in a national election, we all know that only a handful of states really get the attention, right? They don't even bother campaigning. At, well, especially Hillary didn't bother campaigning in a lot of places that she should have. Um, but they ignore, right? I mean, they're, they're sure. paying attention. The Republicans are all in Iowa now because that's the first primary. Um but they'll, they'll pay a lot of attention to Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. You can name, you know, the states where they're going to campaign, they're going to spend money. Not only, you know, not only that, you can also say possibly there'll be favor trading that those states will get more whatever because they need to swing the vote in that state more. So maybe they'll promise more, uh, be it, you know, if it's an agricultural state, they'll promise to bring dollars there or build a plant there or whatever. Terribly unfair to the rest of the country, right? 45 states get ignored. Five states get all the attention. That's that's one thing. Do you think swinging um, the other way would fix that? I'm I'll I'll give I'll go into my proposal on on how that's going to work and what's already been done from a uh, reform standpoint on this point there's actually been tons of progress uh, towards getting rid of the electoral college it's much closer than a lot of people think um, and also I think it discourages participation in those locked states so because um, they they know I mean coming from Illinois you kind of knew that it was going to swing towards a democratic uh, for a presidential or even a, a national election, right? So uh, does it discourage some of the – it probably discourages participation all around, right? From the left, From the left and the right, which then distorts things. And if people aren't voting, they don't feel represented again. So – and people need to feel represented to be part of the system, to buy into the system – and I think the Electoral College works against that. So let me get to the, what's happening. And I don't know if you know about this, but there's a national popular vote interstate compact already. 16 states have already adopted this and the District of Columbia. And what this means is that these states have agreed to award all their electoral votes to whichever candidate wins the overall popular vote in all 50 states. Yeah, I'm aware of that. So 16 states, uh, clearly uh, more blue states than red states. The population centers, New York, California, Washington, Illinois, Oregon, Colorado, New Mexico, Massachusetts, Vermont. How many states did that by putting it on the ballot, by the way, versus uh, letting their legislators 
sign the document. Uh, because if you want to argue for, I think you know, Illinois put it on the ballot. Popular vote and popular resident, you know, it's not. I will. I'll look that up, but I. I wouldn't. I think a good deal of them put it on the ballot. Because I think they have to change their constitution, possibly. Um, so it's been adopted by, it was introduced in 2006, adopted by 16 yep. states. They've got 205 electoral votes. So the math says um, they only need to get to 270, right? Yep. So they only need another, uh, what's that? 65. Six is six is, yeah, 65. 65. And I guess 63 are currently pending, uh, which means states are considering that. Because if you get to 270, it doesn't matter what all the other states do. Um, yep. You know, I mean, from, a, from the um, standpoint of states' rights, it's hard for me to argue that I don't like it. I think if I lived in one of those states, I would be quite upset about it. Why? Um, because again, you're you're ceding your your power to to other states and other regions that may not reflect your values or needs. Yeah, but it's a national election. Shouldn't the person who wins the popular vote win the election? I mean, I. I No, I mean, let alone the absolutely person who not. I mean, again, no, you, you know, okay. we're we're representative democracy. We're not a we're not a full blown democracy or a representative republic, I should say. Not a not a democracy. That's why. Yeah, yeah my 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 viewpoint is, we were thirteen colonies back then. Uh, the country has changed. Quite a bit, and I, I've, I'm always more of a federalist to begin with, um, because I li like to live in the United, the United States of America. Um, I think that's where our power is. Um, I don't like the idea of, I don't even like the idea that you could buy marijuana in one state and the other state you could be locked up in jail for it. I think it's, I think it's insane. Um, yeah, I think, uh, well, that's, again, it comes down to states' rights. But I don't think that's good. It's hard for me to argue against it. Well, it's easy for me to argue because I think it's insane. Yeah, that's... I'm an Amer fair. I I'm an American first. Back then, they weren't Americans first because there was an America, number one. They were all very... Uh, parochial, local people didn't think, move as people didn't move as often. They lived in places for generations. The mindset was totally different than where we're at. They now. also, you're right, but there was also less signs of corruption in our government. Well, that's that's a whole at other that point issue. In time. I think that, if you, whole... I think if people, if you get people to trust their government again, and then through major reform then I think you might find people are a little more open to it. But I certainly don't trust the government of California with uh, creating laws that are going to benefit me. As a matter of fact, I trust them more to hurt me through law than I do help me through law. Well, you I don't, don't trust to... them, and I don't live there. 
You don't have to trust the state of California. You have to trust the United States. Sure you do. States sure you do if you're ceding your if, if you're ceding your state States power to choose a representative to uh, the citizens of California, then absolutely you do. They're American citizens. They should be represented in the federal government. They have different fully. interests than those in any of the other states. They've got a major fishing industry, especially Oregon and Washington has a major Every, fishing industry. I mean, how, how do they benefit that a lot of the laws they create aren't going to benefit Nebraska and they very well may hurt Nebraska. Every state has its own interests, right? Seeding your interest to other states isn't going to be the benefit to the benefit of that state. So the people in Nebraska deserve outsized influence in our federal no, government. They, That's how we get farm bills. Anyways, uh, as far as uh, that goes, I think we got one more topic, right? I think that might have been it. That's it? You don't want to talk about so. the UPS contract? Oh, we had that one, didn't we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll keep that one short. We're probably running a little over here, but um, yeah. So that UPS uh, union threatened to strike and uh, ended up signing a contract with the company that offers salary and benefits uh, an equivalent of about one hundred seventy thousand dollars a year. It's big money for a, a truck driver, I think. Um, keep in mind. Of that 170,000, I think about 50,000 of that is in benefits, so it's not quite as lopsided um, as you might think. It's not all salary. That said, I see that's you know, that seems to me um, a sign that inflation is going to be pretty hard to stamp out. If you think about $170,000 a year for a UPS driver, that's going to result in more expensive packages in a time where most of our shopping is done, you know, from Amazon or other internet companies. Also, in order to um, remain competitive, UPS competitors, and by competitor, I don't just mean FedEx and USPS, I mean... Anybody out there who needs workers, blue-collar workers, are going to have to compete by upping the amount that they pay their workers to get them from running to UPS. Um, it, it's going to be pretty difficult. And, and it might not just be competitors, if you think about it, because there's a lot of IT workers and developers and things like that that don't make that type of money. At those rates, I think you're very possibly going to – I mean, it's just the driver inflation. So you don't you don't believe that blue collar workers deserve to get paid? Oh, I'm not saying that. The company did it. They're well within their their rights. I'm not criticizing anybody. I just you don't. It's a lot of money, right? I I, I don't think Can I don't think inflation is done. I, I don't think I don't think inflation is done, and I think it's a great example of why you don't need a mandated minimum wage. Because the market will define oh, the rates. You're talking the Teamsters Union. There, there are very few unions, and I, I think the UAW is going to uh, 
it's going to uh, they're going after Ford and yeah, GM. Yeah, yeah, in September, yep. I think. That, so expect a whole nother round of this. I'm, you know, there's not that many unions in this country. This is the Teamsters. Just to give a little bit more background on this 170, because I I've read, you know, once you came up, sent this to me, I I didn't hear about it until I looked it up. You know, everything said 170,000. Put it in perspective a little bit. Most of the articles after the headline will explain that, as you did correctly, and I'm glad you did, it includes the benefits. It was a five-year contract, so it's the average. At the end of this five-year contract, they will average $170,000 in salary and benefits, like $125,050 for the benefits. It's going from 145,000 now to 170. So I didn't do the math, but let's just say 5% increase a year over five years. So it's important to say it's five years out. Um, I consider that job very tough. I consider it a critical job. Um, I do think uh, blue collar jobs deserve I mean, I sat on my butt all day. Uh, yes, I have too much education, uh, whatnot. Um, I, you couldn't pay me enough to do the UPS job. Um, I think it'd be fun, honestly. I'm not, I'm not, uh, and I, I just want to be clear. I'm not stating that they, they don't deserve it. I think they deserve what the market's going to give them and what their employer's going to give them. More power to them. I'm, right. All I'm saying is, Inflation, it's, it's a symptom, right, of the inflation. And it, we're at risk of getting into a, a wage spiral right. upward, which will make inflation go higher. You're right. And I mean, there is that that potential, especially in too, a tight, tight labor market. What is yeah. the – do you have any idea what the percentage of people making minimum wage today are versus making – right at minimum wage today versus two years ago. I bet there's relatively speaking, very few people still making only minimum wage. Yeah. I don't think there historically there's, it's been that many people simply because it's kind of a benchmark. Um, as far as people at exactly minimum wage, I don't think there's ever, there's always been much. It just, it just serves as a benchmark for kind of the, 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 as it says, a minimum wage and wages kind of adjust from that. So I don't think historically many people have earned, but you're probably right, um, you know, given the tightness of the job market, which isn't a tight mar- job market a good thing? Absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but I you're think right. I the Fed would like to see it loosen. Yeah, I and I'm definitely. not sure the Fed really pivots until it does loosen significantly. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think this is indicative of uh, labor getting a little bit uh, of an upper hand uh, in recent years because of the tight labor market. I I don't quite understand why labor markets have been so tight, given given our GDP growth hasn't been through the roof. 
Um, so it's a little bit of a mystery. Um, you know, people come up with theories that there was a lot of free money around and people were sitting on the sidelines and living off that money for a while. Things, you know, as you pointed out today, uh, credit card debt is going up. I mean, we're seeing indications of a little bit more stress on the consumer side. Uh, I know that there was a ton of excess savings uh, during the pandemic that got There's a up. lot of people working two jobs. And yep, I don't know exactly how that plays into the numbers. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of people working two jobs. I'm guessing maybe productivity has taken a little bit of a dip in the COVID era. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you're right. This could lead into a weight spiral. We'll see what happens with with the UAW. Um, yeah, I mean, it will contribute to inflation. But on the on the plus side, you know, if 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 Amazon has to cut off, you know, Prime free delivery, it might save me money. <laughs> Since I won't see as many packages showing up on my front door, hopefully, it's, as I do nowadays. So silver I'm, lining and everything. I'm right? like all for the UPS man. Well, it just means Amazon is more thing. likely to increase their delivery. I, I don't know if you see Amazon vans too often, but I see them like three, four times a day here. Amazon around here will deliver same day often. You order it in the morning, you're going to have it by by the afternoon. No, we just get we just get UPS up here, uh, and people in cars doing their own delivery. We don't we don't see the the Amazon trucks anymore, but. Um, Anything else on this one? I think we're good. We're good. We wrap that up quick. Well, this is our extra bonus extended version podcast. <laughs> Do we have any uh, exit music? or? Do we have exit music? You can hum something if you want. Oh, that would not be a good idea. We'll remind people of where to find us on the internet at sensiblecenterpack.com. On Gmail at sensiblecenterpack at gmail.com and on X at USA SC Pack. That's USA SC PAC. Well, thanks for the great topics tonight, Bob. I think uh, I think we really uh, ran them to the ground. Yeah, enjoy this. Yep. Good to All chat. Right. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks.